What's up, everybody? It's your man, MG Marcus Grant. And have you ever asked the question, is Johnny Utah or Shane Falco the better quarterback? Or do you wonder whether or not Loki would make a better corner or wide receiver? Are you a fan of the O.J. Simpson Film Festival? If you answered yes to any or all of these questions, then Screen Pass is the podcast for you. Check it out every week with Sheehan and Justin on the 32-Bit Network. You're listening to the Screen Pass podcast, you pancake-eating motherfucker. We have that? We can make it work. Let me get into it. Just made a trade with the Seahawks. Four. The number one pick. Pretty good move. Huh? Yeah. Number one yeah. pick. Yeah. I thought we uh, had a QB. Tell me, what did we give up? A number one pick this year. And? First round pick next year. Okay. Well, that's a lot, but you can't a player like Callahan. And the year after that. We gave up three consecutive first rounders. Funny, that's our future. The kid, I think we all agree, pretty good. Until about 10 minutes ago, I don't think any of us thought this was possible. And I seriously doubt that we have looked at him the way we might have. No, it's my call. Welcome to the Screen Pass Podcast, the show about football and popular culture. I'm Sheehan, and with me as always is a man who not only went to Bo Callahan's birthday, helped him blow out the candles, Justin Barber. How you doing, Justin? I'm doing great. How you doing, Sheehan? Yeah, good, man. I'm looking forward to uh, talking about our topic tonight. Now, before we get into it, don't forget, Screen Pass is part of 32-Bit, and you can follow us at 32-Bit on Twitter. That's the number 30, T-W-O-B-I-T, on Twitter, and you'll never miss an episode of Screen Pass or any of our other fantastic shows. Now, today, as you know if you've seen the title, we are talking about the 2014 film Draft Day. stars Kevin Costner, Jennifer Garner, Chadwick Boseman, rest in peace, and Dennis Leary, released in 2014. 6.8 6.8 out of 10 rating on IMDb. I think that's pretty good. Made about 30 million bucks. If you haven't seen it, on the day of the NFL draft, general manager Sonny Weaver Jr., Kevin Costner, has the opportunity to save football in Cleveland when he trades for the number one pick. He must quickly decide what he's willing to sacrifice in pursuit of perfection as the lines between his personal and professional life become blurred on a life-changing day for a few hundred young men with dreams of playing in the NFL. Justin, you hadn't seen the film, so let me ask you this. Did you cry? No, no, I didn't even come close. You know, it's interesting because I found this movie to be one of the best and worst movies somehow at the same exact time. Well, the first time I saw it, it really got me. I think because I watched it on a plane and I definitely think there's a thing where you feel more emotional watching films on planes for whatever reason. But even this time, like, you know that Vontae Mack's going to go one. You know, like, there's the moment with his dad's ashes being scattered. You know, there's the moment at the end with uh, his mum and his his missus sort of coming to us. They all, I didn't, there weren't any tears, tears, but it definitely felt emotional watching it. Right. Yeah. I mean, the, the movie itself is literally about draft day. I mean, it's completely a pure sports film. The listeners, if they haven't seen it, they have to be into specifically football, I think, to kind of connect with this. And in draft, to be honest, I'm one of those guys. I love to watch the draft. And if someone gets picked and they have that moment and they're crying, I, I get right there with them. You know what I mean? I start, I don't, I don't usually cry, but I definitely get like, 
emotional. I'm like, wow, you can just see the impact of it. So I, I did kind of relate to the movie in that sense of uh, knowing draft day. I watched on a recommendation from my dad on a, a flight, as I said. He's not a football guy at all. Whenever I talk about doing this show or any of my other shows, he always goes, is that the one about gridiron? I go, yeah, dad, <laughs> they'll not start another football podcast. He's more of a Kevin Costner guy than a, uh, an NFL guy. So really, they're the, they're the two audiences this is hitting. I remember this whole Bill Burr stand up and he's, he says, uh, what kind of loser just sits around and watches round after round of the draft? <laughs> you know, it's like going to someone's graduation ceremony where you don't know anybody graduating and just <laughs> sitting there. I'm that kind of loser. I love it. I think, you know, by the time draft day hits, there's been no football for so long. You and I, we're watching these college prospects. So for us, it's, it's pretty exciting. And this movie, I think what's kind of cool about it is it really does kind of put, you know, you, when you're watching the draft, you know, you're just saying, okay, this team picks this and you're kind of getting excited. You're like, oh, we need a quarterback or, oh, we need a running back or, you know, we need a defensive end. But this kind of shows everything that's behind that, which a lot of times people don't think about. Yeah. You know, what's going on with the GMs and the trades and the talking. And it's kind of a cool concept. I suppose the, the draft we had two years ago, the, the COVID draft, where Roger Goodell was eating jelly beans in his basement. And we actually saw inside people's homes and Belichick's dog and all that sort of stuff. We got maybe a glimpse into it that we hadn't had at this point. But I think the thing about the draft, whether you know, you're a sports fan or not, it's a season of hope. And hope excites you. I mean, we're both fortunate to have or to support football teams. We've had a lot of success in recent years and in our lifetimes, which is great. But um, my Australian rules football team, we've never won anything. So when the draft rolls around in two weeks' time, we'll be sitting there with a couple of early picks going, oh, you know, are these guys, these kids going to take us to the the promised land? I think that's the beauty of it is that it's the Super Bowl if your team's shit because you might get a player that means you're not going to be shit in the future. Right, right. And I I do think that this movie has a good... You know, it has a good kind of vibe around it. You know, there's a lot of emotional connections and you learn the characters. And an interesting quote from Kevin Costner himself, he says, if you want to make a great sports movie, don't put too much sports in it. It's the backdrop. It's the environment. That That's what he said. And, you know, this one, even though it's around draft day, I think a lot of it has to do with the characters themselves. You kind of get to see all those those nuances. Well, yeah, Costner's the king of sports movies. I did read tonight that he hasn't actually been in the most uh, sports movies. Dennis Quaid has, but I don't think he really resonates with people in the same way that Kevin Costner has. I feel like everyone's got a favourite Kevin Costner sports movie. Oh, absolutely. So what's yours? Oh, mine's Field of Dreams. Oh, yeah, me too. Hands down. 100%. Are we talking about films that make me cry? Field, Field of Dreams every single time. And, you know, this year in baseball with the Field of Dreams games, like, how cool is that? Yeah. Yeah, that is cool. Would you say that's your favorite sports movie? That's a sec- second question to that. Ooh, it's close, but that's one where it's not really a sports movie as well. I love Happy Gilmore. <laughs> Me too. I think it's dwarfed by a comedy film in the same sport, and that's Caddyshack. But again, neither of those are really about sport. It's about the characters within it. Yeah, you can't find someone who knows what the plot of Caddyshack is. It's just this is Bill Murray and Rodney Dangerfield, like being Bill Murray and Rodney Dangerfield. Right. Yeah. Same with uh, like Talladega Nights, you know? Yep. Yep. What about you? What's your favorite sports film? Yeah. I mean, I feel by default through my youth and growing up that I got to say Rocky. Yep. Oh, that's a classic. Right. I mean, Sylvester Stallone, I, uh, while I think Costner's the king of sports movies, I think that Rocky, Sylvester Stallone is definitely like the top 
person that when you look at him, you see Rocky. He's been in a million stuff. I still look at him. I'm like, if I saw him on the street, I'd be like, hey, Rocky. Hey, Rocky. Yeah. It's just what it is. I mean, you go to Philadelphia, you see the Rocky statue. I don't know if there's any other fictional figures like that that have people lining up to see and that sort of represents that underdog spirit. I mean, I, I didn't even think of Rocky as a sports player. I, I love love the Rocky movies, probably not not to the same degree, but it's, I mean, that's that might be all time as the best sports movie. Now, I will say that Bill Murray might give Kevin Costner a run for his money because he was in Space Jam, yep. Kingpin, yep. Caddyshack, as you mentioned. These are all sports movies. I mean, we could make the argument that Kevin Costner doesn't really act either, but gee whiz, Bill Murray does, <laughs> does even less than him when he's in a role. Absolutely. Funny, though. Yeah, oh, for sure. There's a bit of connective tissue here in that Ivan Reitman, the director of Draft Day, is the son of the director of Ghostbusters, or one of the directors of Ghostbusters, perhaps. I might if that's slightly wrong, but I do know Ivan Reitman has directed this new Ghostbusters, and there is some Ghostbusters connective tissue there. Whoa, that's, that's wild. I think he might even be in Ghostbusters 2, Ivan Reitman. Oh, really? Interesting. Mm. Are you excited about this new school, Ghostbusters? No, I don't care for Ghostbusters at all. What? No. It's crazy. That's crazy talk. Never did it for me. I don't have the kind of nostalgia for it that some people do. It's the best. <laughs> and I, when I heard that they were coming out with this new one, I was like, nah, shit, I'm not, I'm not doing it. And then when I saw the trailer, I'm like, yes, I'm all in. I'm all in again. I hope you enjoy it. Maybe, maybe I'll watch that on a plane one day. <laughs> and cry. And get into it. Actually, before we dive into this, I think it is worth noting that we have now had Chadwick Boseman come up in two consecutive podcasts. Yes. Yes, we have. I was disappointed, and I'm sure you did this after we talked about our Marvel football team's last episode, that I didn't bring up the fact he played Vontae Mack in draft day, a middle linebacker, where I had him lining up there. Nor did we get Chris Evans, who played a quarterback in another teen movie as Captain America. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, we, yeah, I guess we dropped the ball on that one. Yeah. So, But, yeah, that's true. It's funny. We can almost do... I feel like, you know, you know, this game seven degrees of separation with Kevin Bacon. I feel like we get a couple more podcasts out here. We'll be able to do that with this stuff. I think so. Because we are. There's there's so many comic connections right here. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you've got. Um, well, certainly that one that I said off the top and then. Oh, well, Tom Welling in Smallville as well. Frank Langella, who was in Superman Returns as Perry White. And of course, Kevin Costner played everything. Jonathan Kent as well. Yep. Was Jennifer Garner? No, she. She was uh, in Daredevil. I was going to say, I was thinking maybe that might have been Jessica Alba. Yeah, she was Electra. Electra? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm. Well, there we go. There is a lot of connective tissue, but I suppose when every uh, other movie these days is a, uh, a superhero movie, there's bound to be some level of crossover. Now, let's get into talking about it. I'm going to run through the plot and we can jump in with anything we have to say here. And what I, I will say off the top here is this person has gone very hard very early with the plot synopsis. And there's a lot of detail early and then it peters out very quickly and <laughs> chunks of the movie are missing as it feels like they jump from point to point for basically no reason. So good thing we watched it. Stay tuned with that. We open on Seattle, Washington. Seattle Seahawks, HQ to be exact, the owner and head coach Tom Michaels are discussing what to do with their first round pick in the upcoming NFL draft. The owner tells Tom to trade it for equal to what the Rams got for their first round in the 2012 draft. I think that was uh, the Robert Griffin III deal. They get three firsts and a second or something like that. Tom says there's no team desperate enough to do that. He thinks about it and says, well, hold on, maybe. 
Yeah, well, first off, I think it I think it's interesting because the movie opens up with a like the, the you see people getting ready for the draft. They're setting the tables, they're throwing up the banners, and there's this like doomsday countdown clock that pops up. And so mm. so I look at it like a doom. It's a countdown. It's a countdown counter. Most people might not, but don't you always feel like a countdown has kind of like that that tension already in it? You know, well, that's the the beauty of when you're writing suspense or thriller or something like that. You introduce a ticking clock, and all of a sudden, right. it ratchets everything up. One of the first things that actually jumped out of this film to me the first time I watched it was the the graphics and stuff that they use. Um, it comes in a little bit later where characters are on the phone and they're spliced on top of each other, and I thought it was like really clever uses of transition and stuff like that. And I think the clock's really good. Obviously the clock is such a big part of the draft that it just makes sense for the whole thing to be on, on the clock as it were. And you're right. It does open with uh, Boomer Berman doing a voiceover. And I've always loved Chris Berman. I feel like I'm a, a mild Chris Berman at heart. And he says the name of the movie. And I always love when they say the name of the movie in the movie. And this, I think could be the earliest of any movie where the name of the movie is said. Yeah, it's so exciting when that happens. Yeah, what else I found interesting, this is a little bit of a jump outside of this timeline, but they actually use the Browns team. Yeah. And a lot of these sports movies, they don't. Like, you you know, you had in, you know, The Replacement, it's the Washington Sentinels, and in any given Sunday, you have the Miami Sharks. Like, almost all football movies specifically, they, they have a team that has nothing to do with it because the NFL kind of locks locks down those names. And I was surprised that this is all NFL teams right out, right out the gate. Well, not only that, you've got ESPN, you've got like name talent on there. As I say, you've got Berman, you've got John Gruden, Mm -hmm. who at at the time of, well, when I watched this, he was certainly in the news. Uh, We've moved a little bit past that now, but he was, you've got uh, Rich Eisen as well. You know, sort of before he was kind of the ubiquitous figure that he is now. But I like it. I think it it lends that authenticity. It always feels a bit lame when you've got a made-up team. Yeah. Yeah, I can't connect to the Boston Rebels, you know, but I can can connect to the Browns. And, you know, I thought it was cool because, you know, the Browns football, the the Browns is kind of like the the center point of football. They mentioned that in the opening of the movie. It's where the Football Hall of Fame is, which I had the pleasure to go. Have you ever been? No, I would have loved to go, particularly when uh, David Baker was still there. I absolutely love He's the big dude who run, who ran it up until this year. One of my absolute favorite footballing figures. So I was ho- I'm was hope- hoping to get there for um, the Fantasy Football Convention next year. And I yeah, think if, if that's in, in Canton, I'll be, uh, be getting there and seeing all the busts. Yeah, it, it's cool. You know, I was like texting my dad the whole time, geeking out, you know, uh, Johnny Unitas uniforms and stuff like that, because I'm a, yeah, a Baltimore, Baltimore born. Um, but I thought it was cool that they had the Cleveland Browns. I thought it was really because of that. And then I ended up reading later that they wanted to be the Buffalo Bills. And, yep. you know, the studio changed it due to cost. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> kind of cheapens it a little bit because I thought it was a good idea, you know, uh, but. Yeah, what can you do? Hollywood, right? Yeah, I mean, these things always happen. You've got to go where the money is. I suppose it was. It works whether it's the Bills or the Browns. You know, obviously, as you say, you've got the element of the um, uh, it being a team that staff success, but then so are the Bills. I mean, I'm sure they would have hit the the four losing Super Bowls in the 90s and stuff like that as as that connective tissue. Um, but I also read that the, um, the Seahawks were supposed to be the Jets, and I wonder if maybe the Jets were embarrassed about having the number one pick and they didn't want people to think they were shit. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I think that's funny too. But in the Seahawks, you know, just to put the movie in the time frame of the year, 
the Seahawks won the Super Bowl that year. Yeah. They played they played against the Broncos and Peyton Manning was having his MVP year and the Broncos were heavy favorites to win. Mm. And the Seahawks came in with Russ, you know, Mr. Unlimited Wilson. <laughs> and they they just stopped him. How goofy was that Mr. Unlimited stuff? <laughs> He's a weird man, Russell Wilson. He's a weird But I will say this social media was awesome that week that he did that. Oh yeah. Those of you that don't know, he went on social media and he was trying to give himself a nickname. So it's him walking around, basically FaceTiming the camera going, I'm Mr. Unlimited. That's my nickname, <laughs> Mr. Unlimited. And of course, the Internet responds just making fun of him. Like there was this whole chain of tweets of people saying like, you just talking about Russell Wilson. It's like Russell Wilson loves answering the phone yellow. And <laughs> Russell <laughs> Russell Wilson, when he curses, uses letters like what the F? And just like stuff like that. Russell Wilson says sorry when someone bumps into him. It just kind of went off on him. And it was that way for like three or four glorious days of the Internet. I loved it so much. Yeah, I'm uh, disappointed Mr. Unlimited never really caught on. I, I haven't checked Pro Football Reference tends to have those kind of weird nicknames in there. I'm not sure if they, it was even weird enough for, for po- pro football reference, but you're right. They, um, there's a photo or a poster of the Legion, Legion of Boom right. up in the office with the um, with the Seattle GM and owner. Um, circling back to the Buffalo and Jets conversation, it would make sense if it was the Buffalo and the Jets being these two. Although, would you trade number one pick in division? Have that discussion another time. Because at the end of the film, you see the owner and or dashing back and forth, making these like supersonic Concord speed flights to get to New York and then to Cleveland, then to was it, Cleveland to New York and then back to Cleveland again, all over the space of about 45 minutes, which conceivably you could do from Buffalo to New York City, but you cannot do from New York City to Ohio. Oh, that makes because I had that I had that as one of my notes. I was watching this movie. I'm like, he gets out of the New York draft. Well, I, I guess we'll get to it. But really, the reality is he's like, I'll be there in an hour. And I'm like, and what what world are you going from? Yeah, New- you're not going to be at JFK in an hour, mate. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. Like maybe I don't know. Maybe. Yeah. I don't know if they have a year on this. I think they do. They straight up say it's 2014, but maybe he has some sort of Star Trek teleportation. I'm not sure. But even with a private jet, you're not getting from to Cleveland and New York in an hour. Ridiculous. But it does make sense with Buffalo, though. Yeah. And that's that's probably it. I bet you it was an oversight with the script. Ah, we got you. (laughs) Hope somebody got fired for that blunder. Early on as well, I I realize we're still in like the opening minute of this film talking about this is back when running backs mattered in the draft because they're talking about whether Ray Jennings could go number two overall. (laughs) Yeah, right. Yeah. And uh, I think that the Seattle uh, general manager is that guy that we all have in our fantasy football leagues who just talks shit about your players when trying to trade for them. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But if he's so bad, why are you trying to trade? Yeah, I love that. I love it when people try to talk you into things. Yeah, like you're none the wiser. If you want this guy, don't try to tell me how bad he is so you can get him. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Q Cleveland, Ohio. We now see the GM of the Browns, Sonny Weaver Jr., Kevin Costner, putting on his tie and getting ready for the day. His salary cap manager and girlfriend, Allie, Jennifer Garner, is in the shower behind him. Hmm. Sonny goes downstairs to the kitchen, pours Ali and himself a cup of coffee. This is where I mean there's like minute detail that doesn't need to be in this. Like, is it a play-by-play of the movie or is it sort of the general vibe? Anyway, I didn't write this. (laughs) Sure. Sure you didn't. Sonny also slips a folded post-it into his pocket. She comes down, gives him the silent treatment. 
women, am I right? <laughs> and it comes <laughs> it comes out in conversation that she just told him that she's pregnant and he didn't react in the way she would have liked. He blames it on it being draft day. Yeah, well, what I did find interesting is, you know, in the background they had ESPN on. And I did, I, so I watched this movie twice. I watched it the first time, wanted to get my first reaction, and then I just kind of put it on and, and did what I did. But I, but I noticed they did have ESPN, and they started talking about Ray Jennings in the background. And they were saying that he could be number two, you know, he could, he could go high, but then they were also talking about him getting into a fight. And it, that's a big part of all this NFL stuff. You know, I mean, players, I mean, these guys are young. You know, they're, they're out there, they're, they're getting a lot of popularity and so they, they get into trouble sometimes, you know, and it affects their draft. It affects the way that teams look at these, look at these guys as prospects. And I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah. Cause he's sitting there thinking, well, maybe we can get this guy. They're saying maybe they can get him at seven because he's been in these, these fights um, and he might drop. Yeah. No, you're exactly right. They the clubs know everything about their players well as best they can. There's always a few that pop up, like uh, Tamari on Terry this year, who fell, I think, because there might have been some red flags around him and turned out he murdered someone. So, um, you know, that's 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 not a great flag to have. Jennifer Garner at this point, uh, there is a 17 year age difference between her and Kevin Costner. I suppose within the reality of the film, you got to believe that Sonny Weaver Jr. is a little bit younger. And I tell you what, there is a lot of Botox applicators who got a lot of got a lot of money and probably retired off the money they've made from some of the actors in this film. Absolutely. Good for Kevin Costner, though. I mean, come on. Oh, yeah. Yeah. What a champ. Jennifer Garner, good looking. My man. 59. You know, you're never too old to be a dad, as they say. It certainly jumps out. There's like, well, I'm pregnant. Oh, what, to a, to a man you, who, who could be your father. Anyway. Right. <laughs> Sonny gets a phone call from a draft prospect, Vontae Mack, Chadwick Boseman, rest in peace, to remind him that Sonny must draft him at number seven. If Sonny doesn't, Vontae will tumble. And to quote Vontae, my nephews like to tumble, I don't. Sonny reassures him not to worry. Now we're talking about age differences here. Chadwick Boseman is 37 when this film was released. I know. I know. That's that's awesome. And AD looks awesome. Oh, for sure. Always looks awesome. But he, he completely pulled it off. I was shocked when I when I saw him playing that prospect, but I bought it. Oh, 100%. I had to look up. I knew he was old, but I didn't realize he was quite that old. It's sort of like Brandon Whedon, the old man playing college football. No wonder uh, Vontae Mack was beating up on people in college. Right. He was an adult man. Right. And he, of course, in the movie, he calls and he's... He's like the down to earth. He's the cool, you know, he's, he's a cool guy. He's got his kids. I think it's his nephews in the backseat. Got his nephews. Yep. So immediately he's relatable. Like he's kind of joking around and right off the bat, I'm like, all right, this, this guy's something, of course. So who, do, who does Vontae Mack remind you of? There's Vontae Williams in the NFL, who's famous defensive guy. And then there's um, Khalil Mack. So I thought what they did, not as a person, but as a player, I just thought that they took both those names and mushed them together for some sort of superhero defensive guy. Yep. I think there's a bit of this throughout uh, throughout it where they've just mashed known names together and, and put them in. It's a bit like when you get uh, created characters or, or sorry, procedurally generated characters in Madden and you end up with like a, a Johnson Johnson or something like that because they've put all the different names together. It's interesting. He's a middle linebacker, but obviously rushes the quarterback a bit. That was a, a football thing that jumped out to me. His story sort of reminds me a little bit of um, Tack McKinley, who never really did anything or hasn't done anything really in the NFL this year. But he's one of my favorite all-time draft moments when he got drafted 
came up on stage, had the photo of his grandmother, was yelling into the camera, yelled out, I'm going to get the quarterback, like, massive moment. I, it's that sort of passion, I think. Getting drafted to the NFL changes the trajectory of people's families. You know, you see it, players been like, you know, I've bought my mum a house, my mother doesn't have to work anymore. Like, you can make enough money to set your family up for generations, and it, it, it really is those moments, and you see that with Vontae Mack. All those people around him, him wanting to be there with the people who supported him. Spoiler alert for this film. Right, yeah. I mean, well, it gives an immediate emotional connection. As the movie goes on, they just talk about how I think that they were kind of projecting him for a little bit later in the draft. And he even says straight up, I need that top seven pick paycheck, you know, and um, it is a little bit of foreshadowing there. But yeah, you really do see... It does. It does affect everyone around him, and and he's probably the main character that you see with his family the most, and you see that impact. So I thought they did a really good job of showing that with this particular character. Yeah, for sure. Now it's interesting to note, obviously, again, spoiler alert: Fonte Mac ends up going first overall, which is a beautiful moment. What? Yeah, I know. Only one linebacker has ever gone number one overall in the NFL. It's really not a. Like, it's an important position, but it's not one that... It's not a premium position. And that's uh, Concrete Charlie, Chuck Badnarik in 1949. A fun fact. Yeah, that was worth waiting for, wasn't it? <laughs> Absolutely. I feel more fulfilled than I did five minutes ago. Yeah, and uh, old Chuck Bednarik, two, uh, the last great two-way player, played both linebacker and center. Wild. Yeah, was eight-time pro bowler, first-team all-pro 10 times in 14 years. Wow. Yeah. Interesting. Fair player. Yeah, for sure. In this actual draft this year, 2014, a lot of really big names went. And oddly enough, Cleveland had the eighth pick, which is close, and they picked Justin Gilbert as their pick. Mm. Um, But then also in that draft, which oddly enough, who went afterwards, Aaron Donald from for the St. Louis at the time Rams, Pittsburgh Steelers picked up Ryan Shazier, and the Baltimore Ravens picked up CJ Mosley. So, ooh, yeah, what a draft. But they all went after Justin Gilbert. He was a cornerback, wasn't he? Yep. And Blackman was the wide receiver in that same draft, and they both kind of flamed out Yep. after uh, starting off strong. Anyway, that's by the by. Right, back to draft day, because we are definitely kill it treading water here. <laughs> after the phone call is over, Sonny gets another call from Earl Jennings, real-life football player Terry Crews. He's an ex-Browns player, and his son, Ray, played by Arian Foster at the time, fantasy football superstar Arian Foster, is a running back in the draft, and he'd like to play for the Browns also. Sonny reassures Ray, just to have a great draft day, you only get one. Now, what jumped out to this about you? I think we will probably have similar notes here. Uh, First off, the actors. You know, right off the bat, I didn't recognize that it was Arian Foster. And then when I actually realized it was Arian Foster, I kind of blew my mind a little bit. I mean, those of you who don't know, which I'm sure if you're listening to this, you probably know, but if you don't, Arian Foster was a Texas running back from 2009 to 2015. And ironically, he was undrafted. He was an undrafted free agent that they picked up. And then he ended up becoming the rushing leader in 2010. He went to the Pro Bowl four times. He He rushed for 1,616 rushing yards and had 604 receiving yards, breaking the record of Priest Holmes for the most yards rushed from from scrimmage from an undrafted player. To sum it up, he was dope, you know, Um, but it's funny that he was not drafted and he's in a movie about drafting 
So I, I thought that that was super cool. Yep. And then Terry Crews is just the man. Those of you who don't know his name right off the bat, I first saw him in Friday After Next. He was in White Chicks. He was yep. constantly going after the Waynes brothers. But his best role, I think, hands down, was President Dwayne Alonzo, Mountain Dew, Herbert Camacho in Idiocracy. <laughs> It was one of those films that was always on, and I think I caught like 15 to 20 minutes of it at a time, but I've never seen it all the way through. Oh, he's brilliant. He's the president, and he's got this long hair, and he tries to stop Congress from talking by pulling out a machine gun, <laughs> and he rides, instead of like the, the presidential car, he rides down the road on a chopper, <laughs> and he's drinking like light beer. It's 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 brilliant. It's, it's so good. And he's also in the Old Spice commercials as well. I, before this movie looking into this movie i had no idea he was drafted in the nfl yeah he played for four five six years he was a like linebacker special teams guy did you know that before that i had no idea i did know that was he in the longest yard yeah he is that might have been around the time but i i think he played for the giants maybe the rams as well yeah yeah he 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 was drafted by the rams um and then he just went to a ton of teams he bounced, he bounced around. I think he was in there for five years, six years, something like that. He's obviously become more prominent with Brooklyn Nine-Nine. Right, yeah. As uh, as Terry on that. I feel like he's a guy who might get his own episode of, of Screen Pass. He's like right now wheelhouse, I think, is a, an ex-footballer turned actor. Yeah. And he's probably as successful as any of them. He's hilarious, too. Like, anytime you see a dude that's just like that jacked, like strong and big, and then they're hilarious, it, it just always, they, you can just do so much with that. Oh, for sure. This movie, he wasn't funny. No, not at all. Not, not even a little. Um, but he was the dad. To, it is cool that they paired those two up for someone that was drafted in the NFL and someone that was a superstar in the NFL and Arian Foster. Yeah, I had the um, the line that where he says to him, you only get drafted once to Arian Foster, who never got drafted at all. Yeah. I also love that, especially Terry Crews plays a footballer and Ray Jennings, who has clearly played football his entire life, and his dad's explaining to him how the draft works. He says, <laughs> you'll have to play where you get picked. That's how it works. Okay, I get that you've got to bring the audience into that sometimes, but like it just jumped out as a line. One thing here that I think the Australian Football League does really well that would have helped out the Jennings here is that if you've played 100 games for a club, your children are eligible to be drafted to that club without needing to use early draft capital on them. Oh, I like that. You have like a, a legacy drafting rule to be able to to keep family connections within clubs, which is is nice. It's nice to see uh, favorite sons of favorite sons come home. Yeah, I think that's very cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, I mean, of course, your your, your dad plays for it, your grandfather plays for it. You know, we had a time here in Baltimore where we had all the Ripkins on on the Orioles. You know, we had yep. Cal Ripken Sr., Cal Ripken Jr., and Billy Ripken. And it was just very cool. You know, it's very cool to have a whole family, not a whole family, but more than I've ever seen on a team at the same time. Yep. Just working together, cutting it up. It was great. A great time for the Orioles, too. Now, Cal Ripken Jr., we would be remiss if we don't talk about his connection with Kevin Costner. Are, are you not aware of this story? No, I don't know the story. I don't think I know the story. I should know the story. You might need to fill in some of the blanks here because I'm not really a baseball guy. Okay. So Cal Ripken Jr. is, he was the guy with the Iron Man streak. Mm-hmm. Yep. 
and it was going to come to an end, maybe on an injury or something like that. And then for whatever reason, the Orioles game got postponed and he was then able to play that next game, which would have ended the Iron Man streak. The rumor is that he wasn't injured. He walked on and his wife fucking Kevin Costner. <laughs> what? <laughs> what? I have never heard that story. <laughs> That's why. What would, how would they even connect? Wait, what was Kevin Costner doing in Baltimore? That's clearly Cal Ripken's wife. I set him up and you knock him down. <laughs> That's it. That's wild. No, I never heard that story. Um, and now I can never forget that story. If that is uh, an apocryphal story, you can blame uh, Dan Hansis because that came up on one of his podcasts. I think it might have been on one of the episodes of the Throwback Podcast. So there you go. Right, on to the next start of the week. I'm into the third paragraph of this rundown, by the way. Oh, we got plenty of time. Plenty of time. Strap in, everybody. This is going to go longer than the movie, this podcast about it. Anyway, Sonny meets with Brown's owner, Anthony Molina, played by a character actor, Frank Langella, who decided for this role that he was going to dress as one of the three blind mice the entire time. Meets with him at a water park. He asks Sonny what he plans to do with his pick at pick number seven. Molina tells Sonny to make a splash. He uses the great line, people pay to get wet. They sure do. Almost like clockwork, the next person Sonny talks to is Tom. Again, if you're not following this along by first names, he's the uh, the coach of the Seahawks or the GM of the Seahawks, whoever it is. Tom offers him the number one draft pick for the Browns' next three first-round picks. Sonny tells him he's crazy. I think that's slightly out of order. I think that he calls him back. Anyway, that's by the by. We're going by this person's recollection. We now cut to the Cleveland <laughs> Browns' war room. Hold on, hold on, real quick, just to jump in there. What I thought was really interesting about this was you have the owner of the team talking to Sonny. It, just to kind of lay this out, you have an owner of a team, you have the general manager who who is Sonny in this case, and Sonny is responsible for making these picks, for setting up the trades, pushing the picks through, and then you have the coach of the team. Now, all three of these in a normal NFL team, I think the weight varies depending on the team. Depends on the owner, it depends on the manager, it depends on the coach. Like sometimes a team loves their coach and their coach wants X player and they they make that happen for them. But in this, what we really did see was the kind of the conflict between the owner and the GM. The GM's job is to pick this player and, you know, the the owner's sitting there telling them, you got to make a splash, you know? And he, he even says in that, you know, I want Devontae Mack. And the owner says, well, defense doesn't make a splash. And that's where the line comes in about the splash. And I, I, I found that, that tension really interesting because I'm sure that actually goes on in teams. It's something behind the scene that we never see. And then I also found it interesting that he said defense doesn't make a, a splash. And I just listed off the actual defense people that went out. Yep. Aaron Donald, Ryan Jazier, CJ Mosley. And then at the same time, you had the Legion of Boom going on at the time. Huge splash. Massive splash. But anyhow, I I found that scene, while quick, very cool. Yeah, I think it speaks to a little bit of the the history of troubled ownership in Cleveland. Obviously, you had Art Modell moving the team to to Boswell, which you'll be uh, fairly pleased about. And again, talk about defense making a splash, Ray Lewis. Legend. Yeah, for sure. But also, around this time, it might have even been 2014, where the Browns owner supposedly demanded they take Johnny Manziel because a homeless person had a good feeling about it. (laughs) Yeah, that's certainly the story. But yeah, I mean, 
Johnny Football. It never ends well when an owner gets too involved in football. And I think the good owners in the league know to keep their hands off, let the football people run it. And really, you only have the Cowboys who are, um, well, say what you like about Jerry Jones, has been successful without necessarily winning too much in uh, the last 30 years. Right. Sonny Weaver Jr. ends up trading three drafts worth of first round picks for the number one overall pick. That's, well, to get this roll goal prospect, Bo Callahan, who we're about to, uh, who we're about to come to. So... We're back in the war war room at Cleveland Browns HQ. Head coach, Coach Penn, played by Dennis Leary, is in a war room full of experts. At this point, he is talking to scouts about a football play that he's seen from a top-end prospect. And all the scouts are listening to him like they haven't scouted this top-end player from a school that they're (laughs) at a position they're clearly of need. And he's telling this this story like, wow, we hadn't seen we hadn't seen that the projected potential number two overall pick had made a decent play in his career. Wow. Yeah, if I'm if I'm the GM and walking in there, I'm gonna want everyone in that room fired. (laughs) (laughs) You get a look at the screen where they're scouting Ray Jennings on the board. This jumped out as a, a football issue as well. They've touted his three down ability, but one of his question marks is that he's a liability in pass protection. Which one is it? Can he can he play on passing downs or not? Right. Fun stuff. We get a name drop as well of Spider-Man, Turn Off the Dark, which uh, was one of the least successful Broadway musicals ever. People died. It's just chaos. If you want to know more about it, check out Do Go On Podcast. They did a whole episode, and it's much funnier than this one is. Yeah, not sponsored by them yet, but hey. You know, and that also connects us to our seven degrees of separation from all of our podcasts. Exactly. Another That's another comic book reference. 100%. We're all over it. Yep. So Sonny comes in and tells them all to throw away everything that they were scouting on Vontae Mack because he's just traded for the number one pick and they're going after a QB in the draft. Bo Callahan, who is essentially Frank Cushman from Jerry Maguire, transported 25 years in the future or whatever it is, 15 years in the future, to be Bo Callahan. He tells them what he gave up for the first round pick. They tell him he's insane that he's ruined the franchise. Largely, it's just Dennis Leary being the asshole that he once sung about. Yeah, I mean, I think it's really cool of Dennis Leary to uh, pick a new role of a cantankerous, teeth-gritting, super angry, overly direct, sarcastic character. It's new character work. He really grew in that role there. Yeah, he um, stole Bill Hicks's personality at a young age and never really changed. Right. But uh, yeah, Dennis Leary was the coach. Yes. If we didn't mention that, a very angry coach. Coach Penn, who likes pointing to the ring on his finger uh, that he got with the Cowboys, but apparently he took over a winning team, ran it into the ground, which, oh, did happen with the Cowboys. Did they fight Jimmy Johnson before they won their third Super Bowl? Maybe not. I don't recall. That's interesting. Uh, someone on Twitter will tell us after this podcast drop. <laughs> yes, I'm sure if either of our if either of our parents know, they'll tell they'll tell us. Right, absolutely. Right, Sonny goes to his office to find that Ali has hired a new intern because the others there, everyone else is helping with the draft. This intern was the highlight of the film for me. I thought he was fantastic. Sonny starts to yell at him. The pressure is getting to him. Ali comes in, tries to talk to him. He says he can't handle it. Ali leaves. Sonny gets a phone call from Bo's agent and Sean P. Diddy Coombs, who loves playing an agent, is in the film. Oh, Sean Diddy, P. Diddy, Puff, Daddy Coombs? Yep. Yeah, it's th- this is my uh, this is my second favorite role of him as an agent. The Get him to the fir- Oh, absolutely! For my money, him petting the fuzzy wall, yep. saying he's going to cover his house in it, <laughs> and you know, it's just so his house can look like a werewolf, and then him like chasing through through the hall, all all up on drugs. It's phenomenal, phenomenal. Yeah, yeah. But this role was good too. 
he does a lot with very little in this one. Yeah. So, so Sonny's now on the phone to uh, to Puff Daddy and Bo Callahan. Sonny asks Bo a few questions. Bo expresses an interest in playing for the Browns before he hangs up. Again, they're going into the minutiae of this. Bo, uh, Bo's agent makes sure Bo gives Sonny his condolences because of Sonny's recent loss of his father. Sonny says thanks and hangs up. Thanks. We really didn't need that entire breakdown, but here we are anyway. Then Sonny gets a phone call from his mother, Barb, played by Ellen Burstyn of um, The Exorcist fame. Yeah. Yeah, we sure do. She um, she was pretty entertaining in this movie as well. A couple couple lines. Again, she does a lot with a lot with not a lot. Well, I'm sure we'll get to her main bits later uh, because, boy, does that part annoy me. Yep. Right. She tells Sonny that Vontae has tweeted about the trade, tells him to stay off Twitter because no matter what happens, GMs don't like outspoken players. Before hanging up, Vontae puts a little birdie in Sonny's ear to watch the tapes of Bo and really look at them. So Vontae sows the seeds of doubt once again as if there is not a massive scouting department at an NFL franchise. Right. And I love that line that she he asks her, she says she found out on Twitter and he's like, you're on Twitter. And she's like, you're not. Which I found good because uh, I guess at this time, 2014, ah, he should have been on Twitter in 2014. Yeah, for sure. Unacceptable. Unacceptable. Now, a bit of inside baseball here. In fact, inside draft day, we are halfway through the synopsis mm. and about 20 minutes into the film. This is what I mean about there's a lot of detail early and then it just skates through the back half of the film. I agree. Yeah, I think as we start to get through this this movie, it will will be leaping 20 minutes by 20 minutes. It definitely front loads a lot with character building. I think so. I did quite like that um, Vontae Mack has the NFL on Fox ringtone. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I thought that was cool too. Sonny calls for a collection of the Browns tapes on Bo Callahan. At this point, Sonny is informed... That but that the current Browns quarterback, Brian Drew, played by Smallville's own Tom Welling, has destroyed Sonny's office. Sonny goes down to confront him. Brian is ticked off and wants to be traded. Sonny says no matter what, he will do what is best for the team. What did you think of Brian Drew? Well, I thought it was interesting because when they introduce him, he's kind of a jerk. Like, I, I think right off the bat, he's pissed off. And rightly so. He found out that they got the first draft pick. He's the quarterback. Everyone's projecting it. Yeah, a bit of an ass right out the gate. What did you think of Brian Drew? He's clearly on steroids, I thought. He's coming, he's throwing the ball further, best shape of his life. I mean, we're kidding ourselves if most of the NFL aren't sort of getting a little help with their rehab. But Brian Drew clearly on steroids. Again, same questions we had with uh, Von, Von St. Mac. Who did, it, who did he remind you of? Did you get any sort of real life inspiration from him? I didn't. I didn't really. You know, I, I felt he was kind of like a... Uh, kind of a background character to me. What, what, what did you? What vibe did you get off him? I thought he looked a bit like Derek Carr. Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. And this is one hundred percent something that I mean, the Raiders have stuck with Carr, but this is one hundred percent something that I could see happening to Derek Carr. Is that he's the, supposedly the boring quarterback comes back with a bit more of an arm, and all of a sudden the team trades up to the number one overall pick to to replace him. I could see there's a bit of Baker Mayfield energy about him as well. I think Baker's kind of that boring. Saying that boring quarterback who could be replaced but has a bit of fire in him. Um, but yeah, my, my main takeaway clearly on steroids, but and in hashtag best shape of his life. Oh, yeah. He was squatting what 400 pounds, something like that. Yeah, absolute beast, absolute beast. Now, uh, I, will, I will say this the strength also, coach was uh hilarious. That guy, too. He's in it for like maybe two minutes of the movie. Hilarious, dude. He's just all, all wired. He's exactly what you expect a strength coach to be. 
He's like, oh, and he, he benched it. He benched it 25 times. Can you believe it? 25 <laughs> times, like getting all amped up. You can just tell he's like this gym, gym rat, meathead, crazy guy. But how funny, real funny about it. Oh, for sure. He's he's great. I think this is also the scene where there's a cameo from uh, the Browns center at the time. Alex Mack is working out in the gym. at the, It's either this scene or one later, but yeah. Very cool. Not Vontae's brother, Alex Mack. I can't remember if it's this part or another part where they then go back to the draft room and a couple of scouts are talking about Bo Callahan has a website dedicated, and I quote, to all the chicks he smashed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sounds about right. <laughs> Once again, it's a, diff- it's a different time. Yeah, 2014 is a lifetime away for movies particularly, but yeah. Because I've got some notes in this interim period here. They show a, a highlight of John Elway when they're talking about, like, oh, I think Kevin Costner comes in and says, like, what, what's his butt? It's like everyone said that Elway was too small, but, or Montana couldn't make the big play, but, and they're showing highlights. Right. I love that Cleveland fans get a, get like a little punch. If you've gone to this as a Cleveland fan, a long suffering Cleveland fan, you're like, this is it. It's a film about us. And they show a highlight from the drive where <laughs> Elway's marched him down, uh, Denver down the field 90 yards against the Browns in a game the Browns should have won. Right. Coughing a little stray. Yeah, yeah. I thought I thought that was interesting too. Maybe maybe they didn't consider that when they switched it from the Bills. But actually, this is one of my. It was one of my favorite parts of the movie. It was very small. It was very quick. And yeah, they they talk about you know Montana was too small and that he would get hurt. And then they show a clip of Montana and they talk about Elway being too strong and threw too hard. I, I don't really. Is that a bad thing? I don't know. Apparently, it was a bad thing at least in 2014. And then uh, Peyton Manning didn't have the arm strength, which absolutely could be a problem. But we all know that these guys are great. But I love the little clips that they did interjecting when you were talking about earlier, how they kind of did cool things with filming. This was kind of a cool moment. You get those grainy films, even if they were from 10 years ago. Yeah, no, I think that w- that was great. And they said that it all of it didn't seem to matter. And that's like there's little pangs of this where you can tell there's been like a football guy involved in or football guys involved in all of this. Right. I think this is around the time as well. Again, they talk about hanging up the phone, but there's no mention of this scene, which I think is one of the best in there, where um, Kevin Costner and Jennifer Garner are in the stationary closet and the intern comes in. Oh, no, this is earlier when Brian Drew trashes his office and the intern says he told me to have intercourse with my mother and, and, and she'd passed away. <laughs> And I didn't tell him. <laughs> she had intercourse with my mother. I didn't tell him. <laughs> Again, the intercourse, I was going to say the intercourse, the intern is the best part of this film. Yeah, yeah. Kevin Costner's fake tan is Cleveland orange. That's a note there that I have. Oh, that's a good one. Now, here we go. This is the this is the big, I think there's two parts of this film that have transcended the film into like football zeitgeist. And this is the first part. So Sonny asked the Brown security expert, to look into Bo Callahan's background. The guy's clean besides one incident at his 21st birthday party. The police had to come to the restaurant. They took down everyone's name due to a burglary. None of Bo's Wisconsin teammates were there. Bo Callahan's birthday comes up every draft season since whenever there's question marks about a player who might be unpopular with his teammates. And you, you'll see these people on Reddit or Twitter or wherever you go, go, how many people went to his birthday party? Right. Yeah, this movie really has become kind of a cultural thing, especially obviously around the draft. Yep. A lot of these teams really do look for personality. That's it. You know, it goes back to kind of what we were talking about earlier. You want someone to mesh. It's it's like hiring someone for a job, but, you know, even with hiring someone for a job, it's a lot harder to replace 
these draft picks and this the high level talent coming out of the draft. So you really they really have to dive in. Um, and I like how they did that. I like that it was a birthday party and it's just such a minute thing. Yep. And is that is that a big deal? Yeah. And then you get um, oh, Sam. What's his name? Like the the guy from Tombstone and. Uh- a star is born playing the Wisconsin coach who just ends with, yeah, Bo Callahan has no friends, yeah. which I think is a, a really clever way to end that story. Now, you also get in here two real life NFL anecdotes or, or variations of one of them is the Joe Montana, John Candy story, which is a fo- piece of footballing folklore. I never need to hear again. I hate it. It's overused. Get it out of here. Let's uh, let's tell people what it is. So this, it's during this, one of the Super Bowls, uh, the Niners are driving down the field. Joe Montana looks in the crowd and he goes, isn't that John Candy? And everyone's like, oh, wow, it's John Candy. And then marches him down the field. I think I don't think it's the catch. Uh, no, because the catch is the, um, was the NFC playoff where he threw to uh, Dwight Clark. Right. But it's certainly one of these great Montana moments at the end of it. And uh, the Niners ride off into the sunset and the Bengals and uh, Chris Collinsworth are left to lick their wounds. Right. And I think obviously the the point of the story is they're in one of these games down by a lot. He's talking about the people in the audience. He's cool as a cucumber. That was always like, yeah, Joe cool, like Montana's thing. He's just cool under just super cool under pressure. You know, he he can get it done. Yeah. And I I think the story was good for the movie for sure. Yep. I, I liked it. But now, obviously, since the movie's been out, you hear it quite a bit. Everyone talks about it often. I want to just jump a little bit before this. There's a scene before this part. Oh, wait, actually, let's stick with this part. Let's stick with this part. The thing that I find odd is Jennifer Lawrence or Jennifer um, Garner's character in this. Mm. She knows all the stats. She knows the time. She's like, they're down by three. There's 320 left in the game. And he drove at 93 yards. Yeah, he, you know, he beat the safety for a 10 yard yard gain. And it's a little much for me. I mean, I'm going to be honest with you. Like I just watched a, a game a few weeks ago where the Ravens came back and had an amazing comeback against the Colts. Sorry, Colts fan, but it was an awesome turnaround by the Ravens. I can't tell you how many yards they got with how many minutes left. And that just happened three weeks ago. I find it a little odd that she knows every little detail of this drive. But nevertheless, it was a good story. There's definitely some football things in this where they're not convincing. And there's a later stage where Dennis Leary, uh, Dennis Leary is putting the screws on her to um, Jennifer Garner's character. And he like drops some like spider two Y banana type shit. And it's just like nobody talks like that. And I get that he's trying to be a dick. Right. I, I would say they're. It's the same as you, like um, Super Bowl 51, the 28 to 3 comeback. Like, I remember elements of that. I couldn't string together what happened in in a drive. You remember the big moments, but. Yeah, you remember the score. You remember the turnaround. Yep. I mean, now maybe she's a a genius in the the show. I mean, that's possible. Oh, she's a 49ers fan. (laughs) (laughs) Right. And there was a scene before this that I found interesting also kind of sticking with that, where they go to the Seahawks headquarters and you have the GM of the Seahawks there and he op- he like looks out the window and you see all these fans running up with like signs like they're 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 basically uh, low key protesting pre rioting hmm. outside outside the, the Seahawks headquarters. Does anyone do that in real life? Has anyone lost a pick? And like, I'm going to throw on my jersey and I'm I'm going to the headquarters with made up signs that they they put in arts and crafts. I just don't see that happening. <laughs> I have a note here about that as well. It says, how easy is it to get effigy supplies in Seattle? 
<laughs> right. Because remembering time difference-wise as well throughout this, it's like maybe eight or nine o'clock in the morning there. So people have woken up, heard the news, not gone into work at Starbucks or Microsoft or KACL Radio, wherever it is, and they've gone, no, I'm going to pop down to Hobby Lobby. I'm going to make me some effigies and some big signs. They're not going to have anything witty on them. We don't have time. It's just going to be, you know, boo GM and stuff like that. It's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. You you almost have to be pre-prepared to do that. It's kind of like whenever you see things where people are throwing tomatoes at actors. (laughs) Like someone had to pre-plan. There's there's a certain level of jerk that's like, I'm going to go buy some tomatoes and bring it to this play just in case. You almost have to be that kind of person like, I'm going to be prepared to take off work. I'm going to make this sign that says Bo Callahan the night before, just in case they trade that pick. Ah, uh, it's great. I'm glad that you picked up on it. Now, around this time as well is another, uh, they tell the story about the playbook. And that is that oh, they sent the playbook to prospective quarterbacks, which is something NFL teams absolutely do. In the back of it, there was a $100 note. And there's the fun bit where this guy, who is the world's worst fucking storyteller with his like backwards pulp fiction, non-linear narrative and stuff like that, basically says to them, some kids keep the money, some kids mention the money, they ask him about it to see if they've read the playbook, and Brian Drew mailed it back to them, saying that, save it for when I win you a Super Bowl. Now, that's a, a real that's a real nerd thing to do, <laughs> as far as I'm concerned. That's a real nerd response. This actually happened with Jamarcus Russell. Right. Is that they weren't sure, Jamarcus Russell, uh, if you're not familiar, all-time draft bus for the now Las Vegas Raiders there in Oakland at the time. He wasn't watching tape, so they sent him blank DVDs. And he lied about it, just like just like sneaky old Bo Callahan did here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they gave him, they knew he wasn't watching the plays, you know, so they sent, they gave him a DVD and said, hey, study these. And it was bl- blank. The DVD didn't have anything on it. And so he comes in the next day and is like, yeah, I watched it. I, you know, it, it was good. And so they knew he was lying. Um, yeah, jump. Jamarcus Russell was definitely a bust. He he was a first overall pick in 2007, and he was cut in 2009, and his career was done. Yeah, it's it's kind of good that they reference the story a little bit. I think a little bit harsh that they reference the first round quarterback pick on Jamarcus Russell. Uh, that was pretty mean, but still a good story. I can't re- I can't remember if they actually name dropped Jamarcus Russell, but it definitely um it it definitely inspired that story. Whether it. Uh- it has or not. Now, back to our friend here who's giving us the synopsis. When Sonny gets back to his office, Sonny's mum and ex-wife are there to help spread his dad's ashes on the practice field. She asks him to say a prayer while it happens, and he says, not today. She says, fine, I'll do it myself. This woman clearly understands football. Her husband is a coach for so many years. She knows how the draft works. Her son is a GM. Why does she have to scatter the ashes that day? It doesn't make sense. <laughs> completely. I completely agree. I love my mom. We have a great relationship, me and my mother. If she came in the one day of the year that is the most stressful day of my job, I, she's got to go. She's got to go. Yeah. You know, it, she and she has to know this. Her husband was a coach. Her husband was a coach, correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was a coach. And then obviously her son's a general manager. She knows she knows the game. She's lived her whole life with these guys running all over the country all the time and being there for draft night and all that. Yeah, I, I found that a little strange. I get this is a stressful time. You've just lost uh, your, your life partner. And, you know, I can't imagine how horrible that must feel. But read the room. Don't just march into the stadium. It's 90 minutes before the draft. We know because the doomsday 
countdown clock that's still going on. Yeah, yeah. Wait a day. You know what I mean? Just wait a day. Wait a day. It's not that big a deal. Yeah, I, I get it. I'm, I'm sympathetic, but, you know, the, the ashes are going to be there tomorrow. We'll wait, wait the day. Allie comes in and introduces herself to the group. Barb and the ex-wife are total snobs. I think that's unnecessary commentary. They are rude, but I don't think we need to, uh, we don't need to label them like that. Barb asks Allie for a cup of coffee. Allie goes to get it. Sonny stops her. Barb asks Sonny one more time about spreading the ashes. He gets mad. He throws a laptop across his office and puts a hole in the wall. Barb almost bursts into tears and leaves the office. This, this is one of the weirder scenes. He throws the intern's laptop and then, like, the intern gets all carried away and he's like, it's my laptop. Why would someone throw it? Ah. And then Kevin Costner in classic, like, dad on Christmas Day style kind of gives him a, we'll, we'll get you a new one, a better one. Like, it's, it's, you know, it's like a drunken dad's come home, smashed up all his toys and then has to, uh, has to apologize. Yeah, I feel like everyone in this movie just has anger issues. You know, you have the the head quarterback smashing this guy's office. This guy comes into his already wrecked office and smashes someone else's stuff. You know, I mean, maybe they should invest in some sort of in-headquarters counselor or, I don't know, stress balls. Maybe hand out Brown's printed swag stress balls. They need to get that um, culture guy from the Texans to come in and just get everyone to chill out a bit. Jack, Jack Easterby. <laughs> exactly. Sonny and Allie go down to the practice field where a plaque for Sonny's father is shown. Sonny tells Allie the reason he fired his father as the Browns head coach was because his mum asked him to. His father was in ill health and more years of football would have killed him. Chose to fire his dad in order to give his dad's last few years to his mum instead. That's quite, it's a very nice moment where Sonny's been sort of catching strays the whole time. People saying, I can't believe this guy would fire his dad. It turns out that his football loving mum who needs to do this on draft day, it was all for her. And even then at that point, she still couldn't... Uh, just pump the brakes on the ashes scattering ceremony. He said in that scene as well that he fired his dad because of her as well. Like she was concerned about her dad's health. So um, apparently he he does bend over backwards for his mom quite a bit. Yeah. You know, which is, that's uh, understandable. I get it. I get it. Yeah, you gotta, gotta be nice to your mom. Yep. This part of the movie, you know, it was a nice moment, but I feel like this kind of stretches. It's kind of the, the filler land. And you could probably hear it from... From here, let's talk about it. A little bit of filler, filler part of the movie. Yeah, it's a nice. Um, it's it's nice that all of the Brown staff come out. Like Sonny and Jennifer Garner are sitting on a, a bench, and the rest of the Brown staff, and basically everyone comes out to help scatter the ashes. Uh, Kevin Costner and Jennifer Garner are there. It, it is quite an emotional moment, and I, I think I teared up a bit here too. Sure. Sonny goes back to his office to find the new intern trying to fix his laptop. We already talked about this bit where he's complaining. Drunk dad, Kevin Costner's beating him up. Yep. Sonny meets with the head of security once again. He reiterates about the birthday party. Sonny calls Bo's former college head coach. This is what we're talking about. Sam Elliott, shout out, I couldn't remember your name earlier, who denies the allegations, and that's where he leaves off with Bo Callahan has no friends. Draft time is finally here. Sonny is up in his office, not in the war room. He calls in the pick, and it's... There's lots of drama and tension. We get Rich Eisen using a very Rich Eisen type phrase in this part, a walkie talkie individual. Yeah. <laughs> so we're at the point where he did the pick. And as we mentioned earlier, he picked Vontae Mack. They were looking at Mack at seven and he was worried he'd fall to the, the late teens. So I think he was a, a first rounder with a, a, a wide range of outcomes, but he definitely wasn't going to slip to the second. I think the panicky Texans GM thought he might get him at 16 or wherever it was. Right. You know, because everyone, everyone freaks out because because we know a lot of times in these drafts and people that don't follow the draft, 
a lot of times there's a star quarterback that comes out of a class or multiple star quarterbacks that come out of the class. And a lot of times that first round pick tends to go with the quarterback. Yep. Because they want a new phrase of the franchise. So in a draft, it's very common. It's almost expected, especially if it's a star quarterback coming out. Uh, this year, it was Trevor Lawrence. Last year, it was Joe Burrow. Um, a lot of these quarterbacks, there's a scene earlier in it, uh, right right before this pick, where, where Sonny's talking to Jennifer Gardner's character, and she talks about Tom Brady going at the 199. So Tom Brady, for those of you that don't know, was a sixth round pick. Was he? Yeah. And he became the GOAT. So um, I was just kind of looking through some of these first round QB picks because a lot of them can be volatile. You know, Mitch Trubisky in 2007 was the second pick overall. The first pick. Miles Garrett. Correct. Was Miles Garrett. So Mitch Trubisky was the first quarterback off the board and he was picked over Patrick Mahomes and he was picked over to Sean Watson. And then in 2018, in 2018, uh, the 10th overall pick was Josh Rosen. There was quarterbacks picked before him, but he was still a first round pick. Lamar Jackson was drafted after him. And then in 2019, you have Dwayne Haskins picked. It was kind of a bust. Interesting enough, that year, 2014, Blake Bortles was picked. Mm. He was the first QB off the board. So I don't know. We already mentioned Johnny Manziel. Yeah, well, you mentioned uh, Josh Rosen, who is sort of that Bo Callahan type figure where he was a winner in college. He's seemingly an excellent prospect, but not popular with his teammates. And he was that almost archetypal post-Bo Callahan society. Nobody came to his birthday type prospect. Right. And I think it's almost been borne out since then that now I think he's the Matt Ryan's backup now. Sort of got hung out to dry a little bit. But yeah, this was, it was your, your classic Bo Callahan at type slide here. Yeah, a lot of these did end up as backups. Dwayne Haskins is the, yeah, I don't even know if he's the backup on the Steelers now. He might be the backup to the backup. You know, Mitch Trubisky is the backup to Josh Allen now. Blake Bortles just got moved to Green Bay to kind of back up Aaron Rodgers there. And Johnny Football, unfortunately, is uh, nowhere to be found. He's in the fan-controlled football league. I did quite like when, because um, the owner, old three blind mice himself, is there to present the jersey to Bo Callahan. He's had it made up, Callahan, Browns, one. This does happen, where they have, in, in the time it takes for the pick to come in, they stamp it and they get it up there so the player can hold up the jersey with the, their team's jersey with number one or whatever it is on the back. I love the fact that it's almost like we get a glimpse at the actual coverage of the draft rather than the movie because he looks back straight into the camera and throws the jersey down that he's had made for Bo Callahan. Right. It's a great moment. And then he gets onto his supersonic jet to get to Cleveland. Oh, sorry, to get from Radio City Musical right. to any New York City airport and then to Cleveland in the space of about 26, 27 minutes because <laughs> I think three picks have been made. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good point, too, because he says I'll be there in an hour. Um, but we also have the pick clock. It starts to not line up at that point. At that point, they threw time out the window and we're just in it now. Now we're just doing picks. Yep. And we probably have the second kind of zeitgeisty moment here, which is Vontae Mack, no matter what. And I think every year when you're in a fantasy draft, whether it's a dynasty or a redraft, there you'll see it in one of your leagues. Someone will have mocked up a Christian McCaffrey, no matter what, or Trevor Lawrence, no matter what, or whatever it is for that pick. Yep. Photoshopped onto this. You know, I've done it myself in my fantasy leagues. You know, uh, you and I... We are in a ton of leagues. We're in so many leagues. There are times when I take a fantasy draft and I'm like, I have no CD Lamb. 
I need to roster CeeDee Lamb. So you just reach and you grab, you know, I'm sure that happens in real life. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. So it's a great moment. This is another a tear up moment. Vontae starts crying with happiness. Everyone is around him. He's just stunned that he's the number one overall pick. Um, he finds that on TV. Now, most of the time, players will get a call ahead of the time by the GM or the coach or whoever it is that says, you're about to be drafted and whatever. So it's not quite a shock when they come on TV, but it's a beautiful moment uh, when he gets drafted. Bo Callahan freaks out, walks out of Radio City Music Hall. Puff Daddy has to convince him to come back inside. As we say, the owner flies back to Cleveland. Sonny has all but lost his job. He's pissed everyone off. The coach is pissed off. They've got no draft picks. They've traded up for a player that they could have got if they hadn't have traded anything reinforces kind of the character build there you know i mean you have the player that he picked is surrounded by like 20 family members and then the quarterback throws a little temper tantrum in the alleyway and whose agent has to kind of calm him down it, it does kind of reinforce how people look at these characters of of these players it's fun yeah we probably need to um to just go back because this doesn't come up at all in the synopsis here but it turns out that basically um Vontae mack had sacked bo callahan returned one of the Oh, and every time after he got sacked, he freaked out in the pocket. He got happy feet in the pocket. Vontae Mack had a little scoop and score on a fumble, gave the ball to a, his sister who was dying of cancer in the crowd. He got ejected, putting his hand on a ref because the ref flagged him for Tony. It was a whole thing. And then after that, Bo Callahan won the game and it was Bo the hero and, and Vontae the villain. They end up watching that and seeing that, no, Vontae is the high character guy. He's the guy to build their franchise around and Bo Callahan's just a dick. <laughs> So then jumping back to uh, to where we are, Sonny gets on the phone with the... Oh, the draft starts continuing. Sonny's panicking a little bit. I think everyone is freaking out because Bo Callahan, the number one overall pick, didn't go number one. And now teams are freaking out and the Browns, basically Sonny Weaver Jr., he's lost his job. So he's going to swing for the fences to try and keep it. He calls up the Jacksonville Jaguars, the NFL's whipping boy, and basically fleeces their first year GM, looking at the Jimmy Johnson trade value chart, assuming there's some depreciation of value and the Browns would have kept improving. He basically traded the number six overall pick for about the number 12 overall pick and got nothing back. Really good business. Yeah, yeah. He talks to the squirrely, squirrely little GM. And, you know, I watched it again and he doesn't lie, but he definitely hustled. There's definitely a hustle there. Yep. I mean, there's always those GMs out there that you just know they're going to make these picks and you're like, what are you doing? And he was definitely the archetype of that, that GM that doesn't really know what's going on. Yep. First year fleeced. The owner, fresh off his uh, two minute walk from Radio City Musical, you couldn't have got to uh, 30 Rock in the same time that he got to uh, to Cleveland, comes in, basically tells Sonny that he's fired. It, we, it now ends up that Cleveland are on the clock with the sixth pick. Bo Callahan is still on the board and he calls Seattle to make a deal. Seattle know that they still want the quarterback. They could draft Bo Callahan here. And Sonny convinces the Seattle GM to trade back all of his picks. And we get the fantastic scene. I'm going to see if our producer Nick can actually drop in a clip of it here where he talks the Seattle GM into giving him back all of his picks. I want my picks back and I want David Putney. I need a punt returner. And David goddamn Putney because he goddamn feels like it. Where the hell that come from? It doesn't matter. I want all my picks back and I want David goddamn Putney just because I feel like it. You're out of your mind. Yeah, I am. Haven't I proved that already? You make this deal right now, Tom, and you get Bo Callahan. Say it with me. You get Bo. 
And that's where you get the inimitable line, say it with me, Tom, you pancake-eating motherfucker. Come on, Tom, say it with me, you pancake-eating motherfucker. The, the, the apex of the movie hits right there. You know, you, you definitely hit the top there. All right, shit. Deal. Great, you're welcome. From the train. God damn it, I love this job. Yeah, you know, I, th I think it. I think it was a little. Uh, if I'm going to be honest, the Putney name has now become a famous name. Yep. He wanted a special teams player, which isn't really that much, but he just wants. He wants a little more. He just wants to get more back. And uh, I do think Putney was lazy naming, though. It's Putney for a punt returner. Punt. Putney. Puntney. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I thought maybe they kind of fell asleep at the wheel during that part. But anyway, great scene. Great scene. It always jump, jumps out to me uh, because there is an area of London here, which a lot of Australians live in, called Putney. And so whenever uh, whenever I have, or if I ever I go that way, it's uh, David goddamn Putney. The movie kicks back in. Exactly. So he ends up trading the number six pick to the Seahawks for all the picks he gave up at the start of the movie. Cleveland are kind of back to where they started. They wheeled and dealed their way to the number one pick. They kept the number seven pick. All they had to give up was their second rounder and, and two future second rounders. It's an absolute fantastic deal. And of course, the Seahawks draft Bo Callahan, the Seahawks GM, appeases all the uh, the arts and crafts arts and crafts enthusiasts mm -hmm. banging down his door outside the uh, the facility. The mob out there with their pitchforks. Yep. The, the 12th <laughs> men are happy or whatever they call themselves. And of course, at number seven, they draft Ray Jennings, the legacy player, the one the coach wants. And then at a point where Kevin Costner could do anything, he could pull down his stance, take a shit in the middle of the room and still be hailed as a hero this day. Instead of firing the coach, who's been nothing but an asshole to everyone, basically causes him to stick around and says, does this seem like the sort of team you want to uh, you want to coach? So it, it ends up being an awesome, awesome draft day. There's more tears. The film ends with Sonny and Ali telling Barb about Ali being pregnant and Sonny and Ali kissing. It's been a running bit in there that Barb doesn't remember Ali's name. And at the end, she's like, Ali, it's so good to see you or something like that. It's a very emotional moment. And the film ends with the opening kickoff of the next season. Sonny and Ali are still together and Ali is showing we get Jim Brown and we get Bernie Kosar in the box. We've got the Browns owner taking the credit for all of it. We've got Vontae Mack pumping up the players. We've got Brian Drew. The team huddles up for a last hurrah before the season officially starts. And then it cuts to the credits with one of the worst songs that I've ever heard. <laughs> that was a horrible song. Um, it's cool, though. They, they show a bunch of pictures of... Hey, football guys, you know, just famous football guys. Mm. But uh, yeah, the backdrop, just you're ready to turn the movie off at that point. Yeah. Um, it's a definite leave leave the theater move, uh, movie song. Yep. It is interesting to note at the end, the, Seattle, uh, the Seahawks end up with Bo Callahan, went to Wisconsin. So did Russell Wilson, their current day quarterback. And in fact, they're then quarterbacks. So that's some nice connective tissue. So we've reached the end of draft day. And I think this could be our ratings schedule moving forward. And it's a scale of eight. You can be drafted in the first round, the seventh round, or you can be undrafted as a movie. What do you what do you rate this? What round are you taking draft day in? I'm gonna go one to seven, right? One to seven, or if you really didn't like it, it can be undrafted. I, I, undrafted, okay. <laughs> XFL. Let's. I'm gonna go with a third round pick here. I think it's gonna be a third round pick for me, and the reason why is I think the movie itself. Now you you said that your dad turned you on to it. Um, so it it does hit outside of the sports arena. I think the people that really like it 
the people that are heavy into football, the guys that, you know, the guys and, and gals that watch the draft. And, but there's a lot of good emotional parts to it as well. I thoroughly enjoyed it. Like I said, I watched it twice just to talk about it here. Um, but I don't think it's a, a blockbuster, blow your hair back kind of movie. Um, I think it's maybe one that you see every every so often. What is your ranking of this? Where would you pick it in the draft? I think third is about right. I, I really like the film. It's one that you can just chuck on and have on. It's like a it, it's a phone movie, or it's the sort of movie you can get up, you can go for go to the toilet and come back, and you don't need to pause it. Right. It's football enough, as you say. I think if this was like a, a stupidly named organization, like I don't know the Cleveland Guardians, for example, it wouldn't work quite as well. I don't think it'd be compelling. I think because they've got the the licenses in there, there's the football personalities in there, and to be honest, I think the cast is. They're doing a good job. They're like for the the film. It is this is probably a better film than it deserves to be. Right. Yeah, you're right. That the actors in it are pretty pretty high level for it. You know, and there's a, there's so many nods to football in it. You have a lot of people like Ray, Ray Lewis makes an appearance in there, which I think is dope. Yep. Um. You know, and then you have Adam Schefter's on the phone, and then you're you know you're running it. So it it really does have a lot of cool background stuff too. And besides, you got you got a pretty high level cast all-star cast acting in it. Um, yeah, I think you're right. I think a lot of these actors pulled it up from higher than it might have been if you just kind of got some no names in there. Yep. Some of the trivia on IMDb here. We did miss that Dennis Leary was, of course, in the Amazing Spider-Man films as well. Some more... Ah, uh, oh, come on. Some more throwbacks there. Seven Degrees. Yeah, that's it. From our podcast. <laughs> that's it. Sam Elliott was in Hulk, the Eric Banner film in 2003 as Thunderbolt Ross. So wow. there's another one. Yeah, overall, it's a, as you say, it's a film that it's a, you don't need to watch it every year when the draft rolls around, but it's like, do you think you'd put it on again? Be like, oh, I just want to watch a film I'll chuck on draft day. For sure. Yeah. I, I, for me, this movie would probably be like a background work movie. Yep. Most of the time when I, 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 I work online, I, I do websites. I'll throw up music most of the time, but every once in a while you want something with a little more substance in it. This is perfect for that. You throw it in there, you stop occasionally and take a peek at it. Um, I would say the movie's good. Third round is good. You're picking up a third rounder. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think we're going to watch a lot worse films on this uh, as, we, as we roll through these. So we've, we've reached the end of it. Do you have any other thoughts or um, I believe you've got a little bit of a game for, uh, for me to end on here? Absolutely. So Kevin Costner, as we established, is the sports movie actor. Dennis Quaid, be damned. Um, so I thought what we would do is maybe throw out a few movies. Yep. And you could see if you know which one they're from. Originally, I was going to do if you could guess the sport, but I think from this, you're pretty much going to be able to guess the sport. Are you familiar with the Kevin Costner movies? I've seen some, but not all of them. So there, there might be a few guesses here. Now, I could do it one of two ways. I could just throw the quote out and you could see if you could get it. Or I can kind of tell you the movies that we're pulling from. Now, throw the quote out and see how I go. All right, let's go. So we'll start with this one and we'll see if you get it. The game begins now. I'm 36 years old. I love my family. I love baseball. And I'm about to become a farmer. Until I heard the voice, I'd never done a crazy thing in my whole life. That's Field of Dreams. It's Field of Dreams. That was a softball. Throwing you a softball right off the bat. I knew there'd be a, a Field of Dreams one in here. I thought as a shout out to our producer, it might have been, is this heaven? No, it's Iowa. Oh, that's true. Yeah. Iowa is the man. So the next quote is, I used to believe, I still do, that if you give something your all, it doesn't matter if you win or lose, as long as you risk everything to put it out there. 
And I've done that. I did that my entire life. I did it with the game, but I never did it with you. I never gave you that. And I'm sorry. Is this Tin Cup? Close. Bull Durham. Close. Uh, almost. There's one more. For the love of the game? For the love of the game. You did it. For the love of the game. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Yep. Yep. Yeah. See, he loves the game, but he loves, he loves this, uh, this lady, his lady friend. And that's where the quote's coming from. Okay. Let's, uh, let's jump on to the next one. Relax. All right. Don't try to strike everybody out. Strikes are boring. Besides that, they're fascists. There's some ground balls. It's more democratic. This is Bull Durham. This is Bull Durham. That's correct. Yep. You got it. And the last one. And if you don't get this, we might have to talk off air. Here's the last quote. Sex and golf are the only two things you don't have to be good at to enjoy. <laughs> that is Tin Cup. That is Tin Cup. That's right. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Although um, I think Robin Williams once said that um, uh, golf is like masturbation, more enjoyable to do than watch. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's well put. It's well put. <laughs> There we are. Well, unless you have any more thoughts about draft day or Robin Williams' opinions on uh, on wanking, I think we can probably leave it there. So why don't you uh, why don't you tell people where they can find you? So you can find me at Twitter on Justin underscore B, or if you want to see some of my work, you can go to Justin B.com. Highly recommend if you need any online services, you check that out. Of course, I want to say thank you to Nick, our producer. Uh, thank you to Justin for joining me, of course. Or well. Don't really need to thank you for joining me, given we uh, we have this show together. But um, thank you, Nick. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Head on over to 32-Bit. That's uh, the number 30, T-W-O, Bit, on Twitter. Check out all the great shows we have with Mike and Nick Nack Florio. We have Marcus Grant and his show to be named later. We have It's a Vibe. We have great content coming out all the time. We have new shows launching. So make sure you're in at the ground floor because we are and we're having a hell of a time being there. I'm Sheehan. I'm on Twitter at Sheehan Solo. That's S-H-E-A-H-A-N-S-O-L-O. And we'll both catch you next time at Screen Pass. Hey, Sheehan. Mm. Knock, knock. Who's there? Screen. Screen who? Screen you. Later. Like it. Take it easy, everyone. <laughs> <laughs>